You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Lumen on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you are hearing us from. Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's national feminist current affairs programs, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Iris Lee. This week, we're so excited to bring you an M Pavilion talk called Women's COVID-19 Archive and Artwork in Conversation, and that's Women's with an X. The panel was facilitated by artist and activist Katie Savedkadist. For almost a year now, Katie has documented the stories of women and gender-diverse people living in Victoria during the COVID-19 pandemic. Two participants from the archival project, Hope Mathumbu and Kate Sulan, sat down with Katie Savedkadis to share their reflections on the tumultuous year that was 2020. We hope you enjoy this conversation. After the intro, you hear first from Hope Mathumbu, who reflects on how her family in South Africa has been impacted by the pandemic. Later, the conversation turns to work and hospitals. You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. This podcast comes to you from our 2020 season. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Um, and then I've got my older sister, my dad, and my nephew in South Africa, which was really um, interesting because South Africa, I guess, is the you know I guess the epicenter of the of the of the pandemic on the continent. But dad is dad is fine. He was he was always fine. I mean, unless it sort of spread into the Kruger National Park, he's just not retiring the way that he thought he would. But he's remote enough that I wasn't very worried about him unless, I mean, the government did something silly. I mean, it is also tourism that makes a lot of money. So, I mean, I think being on the whims, I mean, seeing things like in a personal sense, being like, okay, they're all fine, but things could change in a systematic way where all of a sudden the exposure could sort of go up. And um, definitely, like in terms of South Africa, it's a lot of the tourist areas that where COVID has sort of like sprung up and, and spread quite a lot. But where he is, it's still been really fine. And my older sister, unfortunately, South African Airways sort of went bust the national airline. And so she kind of went from having a job to not having a job. Um, and that was really difficult. So you just worried about a lot of things around the, you know, the pandemic, you know, economic things. And she's a single mother as well. So that's been a, a, a big worry um, uh, as well. And I think it's just been really interesting, I guess, when the Ring of Steel went down and that sort of thing. Still really couldn't see family because we all worked in high-risk environments. And I still would say to friends, look, I'm still doing placement or this thing is still happening. You guys can go out and celebrate. But I'm still technically on the front lines where, you know, the biggest exposure could happen. And sometimes people didn't really understand that and sort of having to be the responsible one and sort of say, I'm on the front lines. Maybe you guys go out, catch up. You know, this is, I've been to so many places that I can't count. So your relationships sort of change in that way and that you sort of have to put yourself out of 
certain catch-ups or certain things until you've sort of passed the 14-day mark or sort of say, well, I definitely probably don't have COVID now or this is when placement ended. So having that sort of mindset, whereas I guess other people maybe wouldn't because they were all, you know, at home, you know, pretty much effectively. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things as well is just being thinking about international students, I guess, and, and people who have even less families and, and kind of being friends with migrant women where it's sort of like, well, I guess now everybody's happy because they can catch up with family for Christmas. But for a lot of us flying back home or people flying here to see us, who knows when, when that's ever going to happen or how much it will cost. I mean, it was already sort of really expensive to fly to South Africa and then we got a discount, but there's no more discounts now. I'm going to have to really save all that money. And so I, I don't know when I'll see my nephew again, my dad, my older sister, you know, no idea when that will happen. And I think there's quite a lot of people where it's like, okay, now is supposed to be the family time. You know, we can all go out and see each other. And there's a lot of people who live in this country that have never had anyone. Um, and I think there's also a lot of people who are worrying. I mean, I just caught up with a few friends, a friend of mine who's Ethiopian-American and everything that's happening in Ethiopia and everything that's happening in the US is sort of like this double, double burden for her. And, and that's really interesting as well uh, because I, I guess in some ways the world has kept spinning and there's that reality as well is like um, and just us talking before this panel you know went down to East Brunswick and all the shop fronts have changed and it's like wow the world kept spinning you know and the construction industry is one of the industries that haven't stopped and so for a lot of us you know you're walking down the street for the first time it's like oh there used to be a house there it's not there anymore and literally things have changed while you've been indoors you know like shop fronts and and things and so it's it's weird that disconnect of like things have kept going but to see that actual physical change in the environment and not really have anyone to be with as well so you know shout out to all the people on temporary visas who sort of toughed it out and I don't know don't really have anyone I'm sorry <laughs> yeah 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 and I think that um yeah what you're saying about things changing is so weird like we I didn't go to my studio for a few months and then the next time I went, the building next door was completely demolished and, like, it was just, like, such a strange experience to turn down the street and be like, what? <laughs> but I, I do think, like, um, yeah, I think about people who are on temporary visas and international students and people that really, like, I mean, I feel, like, very, very lucky. Um, like, I've been on JobKeeper the whole time and, and it's made, like, a huge difference but I know, like, lots of artists and, like, basically anyone who's not an Australian citizen is, like, not, like, just was kind of forgotten in a lot of ways, I think, and um, and also is, like, um, so conscious and so worried about their visa that they also, like, are not in a position to want to speak out about it either, which I think, you know, it just makes it a really sort of tricky situation, I think. Yeah, and I was reading, um, I think it was an article in The Guardian about last week or, you know, a fortnight ago, and it was just talking about violence against women. And um, there was a few, three international students that were covered in this piece, but two out of three of them were nursing students. Um, so international students who are also studying nursing. And so I've really felt this strangeness about being in a career where, you know, when we talk about people on the front lines, we hardly ever think about nursing students and all of that unpaid labour 
um, just to get the degree, and many of us are working in healthcare already for the experience and, and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, just reading that article, I just felt a lot, you know, just thinking about these young women. And one of them was, you know, a Brazilian student, 33, just a year older than I. So, you know, and she decided to tough it out and, and that sort of thing. And, and the violence against women that's kind of gone through the roof because people decided to stay put and sort of see what would happen later on um, because they didn't have any other choice. And when we don't talk about that or give support in women-led industries that are there to support people and, and not just nursing but social work and all of these things that we sort of thought were like a bit woo-woo but, you know... I'm really disappointed in the professions that are about caring and the lack of caring that has happened for the workers that go through them because it's sort of expected that you're some sort of robot that, you know, what's this medication? What does it do? And I can, I, I have stress-induced gastritis. I had to put aside uh, an appointment at the Joan Kerner Women's Hospital for, you know, to, to look into my cervix for ongoing issues. I've, I've got asthma and so I had to go to the doctor and kind of get my asthma plan. And it's like my body as well and, and many people's bodies, I think, have, you know, either acute things that have popped up or ongoing things where you can actually tell, you know, I know the medications that I'm on, the medications that I had to go on because it was stressful to go through this. And the unions are like, all right, so you'll be fine, you'll be fine. And, and you know, it's interesting now that you can name it as a nurse and be like, this is the medication that I'm on. But it's really sad that we had to get to that point and, and all of this stuff had to come be born out of stress. Um, but, you know, it's also touch wood that, you know, somebody didn't kill me because I was in a really bad relationship and couldn't get out of it. So it's a really weird thing that I'm trying to come to terms with um, overall. Mm. And I think... Um yeah, I've spoken to peop a number of people from the archive that are in um, various stages of um, family violence situations and, um, you know, there's such a disconnect between the kind of support that they were able to access in this time. Um, one of the ladies that I was talking to, you know, she couldn't have a support worker at her court case but her perpetrator could have his lawyers there and... You know, and it, but it's and it, I guess it goes back to that sort of arbitrariness of like what was decided was okay and what wasn't, and like why those decisions were being made. I think, and because um, you know, I also the same day spoke to an art therapist who was able to continue her practice with her clients throughout the entire lockdown in her studio, which is incredible. But it was like, why is that person allowed to have face-to-face -face contact, and then this other person who really need it not allowed? Like. Yeah, and I feel like, yeah, I guess it's sort of brought up a lot of, I guess we'll go back to what you were saying, Kate, like these cracks or like structural inequalities seem to, um, even if they're not changing, there like seems to be a space for people to be able to discuss them in a way that maybe there wasn't before. Sorry, family. I feel like we like really progressed uh, oh. like, to a different path. But I, I mean, I've also been thinking about people who... Um, can't see their family at the moment and you know I know that moment my family are all interstate as well and my partner's family and the moment when the borders were closed um, most of my family in South Australia was a really really emotional moment in we didn't know how long that would be for but just the feeling that we couldn't get to them and um, and so I've really extended that feeling for people and it's particularly at this time 
I think as well. It's very, and um, uh, so I haven't seen my family for a year, um, but I also think there's a real disconnect because I think if you haven't lived in Victoria in this time, it's very very hard to understand what what lockdown has meant and what it's felt like and what it's been like, and so um, it does feel like. Uh, most of my family have kind of m managed to live pretty much the same way that they've been living. You know, they had a f uh, they had a few weeks of homeschooling and a few weeks of lockdown, but essentially their lives are pretty much the same. And so there's just been a real disconnect in um, in not through lack of them wanting to understand, they just haven't been able to understand. Um, and that's been really it's been hard and a bit isolating, I think, as well. But I also really relate to what um, you were saying, Hope, about um, my body feels like it's carrying the the year inside itself. And even though um, things have opened up and things are changing, I really can still feel the year in my body um, and and in my system and in my um, yeah. So it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel over at all. It feels very present still. Hmm. And I think part of that too is like, I guess, coming out of lockdown, like relearning how to be in the world, um, which is definitely something that, yeah, I was just saying to both of you before, like I just went to a rehearsal room for the first time and it was like after two hours, I was just like, I'm exhausted. Like I just need to go home and have a sleep. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I was wondering if maybe you wanted to speak to, like, what it's been like, I guess, sort of now that we're in this sort of other phase of, like, coming out of lockdown. And on community radio stations right across so-called Australia, you're listening to Living on a Line. If you're just tuning in, we've been listening to an M Pavilion talk called Women's COVID-19, Archive and Artwork in Conversation. In the next half of the show, we hear from Hope Matumbu speaking on turning to camping as restrictions ease and Kate Sullen talking about self-care. Really looking forward to camping and challenging myself um, because, I mean, things opened up, people invited me to a few places, I was like, I hate it here. Um, and I've always resisted elements of camping and more, like, more glamping adjacent, I would say. Um, but, I, look, my partner's gotten so many wins. The other day we went to BCF and got one of those portable toilets because we're going to a place, like, the, there's an Airbnb, but it's for camping. I, I forget what it's called, but it's like the Airbnb for camping. And apparently you can't use a trowel on people's actual land, so you've got to, like, do your business and carry it away with you. And never would I have ever been convinced to do this, but we're going ahead, baby. And I'm looking so forward to it. And I think that connection with nature and I look I might even get like a little body board I, I'm afraid of the ocean but maybe no more do I, it do <laughs> it I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm looking so forward to just getting out of here I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and I think um reconnecting with the natural I, I mean because I think lockdown happened things opened up and everybody's still consumerist and I feel like there's a lot of lessons that we haven't really learned very well and I'm finally ready to like let go and I'm finally ready to go remote. I mean, somebody needs to teach me how to fish. I was there in BCF and I was like, I, I wish I knew how to fish. I was going on YouTube. I'm like, it's too soon. It's too soon. But I, I'd really like to learn how to fish and do a few more natural things. And I think appreciation of, of the future and appreciation of natural things that I thought I was afraid of. Um, 
but I, I can't wait. Sorry, I don't know if that answers the, the question, but I, I, just, I just can't wait. And everything in this city, I mean, and no offence, everything has just sort of gotten me a bit annoyed and even with things having reopened, like I'm happy for everybody else, but I think that I haven't had my escape yet and, and I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've escaped, like, as soon as I could, I went to the beach for three days and I feel like it was very, like, I well, like, I needed it, like, just to be, even though I still was, like, on a Zoom meeting and I was like, this isn't as relaxing as I thought it was going to be, like. I'm with you. I haven't done my escape yet, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. But it, in a way, you know, when my children went back to school, it was like bliss. It was seriously bliss, <laughs> you know. And the, it's like, I just want to sit on my couch and just not watch my house get trashed and, um, you know, not have to attend to homeschooling and all the food prep and all of, you know. Um, but I, I during, during lockdown, I, I really, I live, um, the Mary Creek is just on the end of my street and it was such a sustaining and nourishing place for me um, in lockdown, you know, to walk that creek. And um, again, similar to you, like nature just feels like the balm and I just really want to be in the ocean and, you know, tossed around by some waves and, um, yeah, pummeled by some waves, actually. I really feel like I want to um, – I'm looking for nature as well um, to kind of help process this year. Yeah. In some ways, it's kind of being freeing. Like, I've, I've – the permission to just be like – I mean, that realisation that you we really don't have any control, you know – systems, everything, and it's good to be an activist and to be whatever, but we, and, and sometimes I used to think about self-care as sort of like this, like, yes, it's good, you know, we talk about it, but, like, I wasn't very good at doing it and performing it and taking it easy on myself, and I think, like, I really believe that I'm ready to give myself a break, whereas before you talk about it, and like, yes, I'm going for a break, and, you know, sometimes people talk about sometimes holidays being more stressful you know, sometimes you need a holiday from your holiday. And that was always how I did holidays. But now I'm ready to, like, be tossed around, like, literally, like, this freedom and be, like, nothing. Like, in some ways, it's kind of like I've been beaten down so much that I'm almost invincible. It's like, oh, I survived. I can survive. So, I, like, throw myself in the ocean. Actually, everybody swim safe. It's actually a very dangerous time. <laughs> the ocean's dangerous. It's actually during summer times and you can't tell the ribs. Beach safety. Once but, a healthcare yeah. worker, always a healthcare yeah. worker. <laughs> like, I'm ready to sort of be thrown around a little bit in the safe areas, in between the flags. <laughs> Get pummeled safely, is that the message? <laughs> yeah, no wonder too, like, I... Um, oh, God, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Um, yeah, like, how... like. I think this idea of self-care is, like, like how, like, I know for myself, like, I was always, like, I'm going to do, like, 20 million things. I'm, like, never going to sleep. And, like, I was, like, oh, actually sleeping eight hours a day is, like, really good for you and, like, makes you feel kind of good. And, um, like, how, like, because I think self-care has been really important during this time and it's, like, how does that then, like, change our relationship to everything moving forward, I think, in a way. Um, like, I particularly think of it, like, I guess being an artist, I feel like we're not very good at that and we always put a lot of pressure on ourselves and, and quite often we, like, take on, you know, too many projects that we don't really have time for and I wonder if that expectation on ourselves will change. It, um, I was just um, thinking about a project that we have done since we've been 
able to be um, out in the world. And, you know, there's this kind of um, thing that the show must go on, the show must go on, the show must go on despite everything. But now with COVID safety, if you have a tickle in your throat, the show cannot go on. You just, just like, actually can't come. And um, so we, we were making a little film and the key artist the, woke up the morning of the f- film shoot and said, I've got a sore throat and a, and a snotty nose. I, and, and we're like, we can't come in. And it was just like the first time that in an arts project that I've been in where and, – and we worked out a way and we found a way forward and he stayed home and he went and got tested and did all the things and all of our COVID-safe procedures went through. But I was like, this is a myth. It's a myth that the show must always go on. And um, I think my greatest fear is that we, we've been afforded this, this big disruption – this moment to kind of look at some of these cracks that have been exposed to us, this, this systemic um, injustices have been really exposed to us in this time. Our relationship to productivity has been kind of really clearly shown to us and how the pace and the, the this kind of need to produce and produce and that we just go back to what it was would be my greatest sadness. So I really hope that... Um, so I'm trying to do everything to kind of... Um, argue for a different pace, you know, both for myself and the output and to take care and consider others. And, you know, in this time, one of the things that we were doing in, as a company is our check-ins. We always, we've always done check-ins as a company, but they've sometimes taken up to an hour to an hour and a half at the moment because there's so much to process and people are processing and to not see that time as wasted time but as absolutely the work. And, and, you know, definitely, and I just shout out to people living with a disability that, that have, you know, said this, you know, it was um, International Day for People with a Disability and I was tuning in um, to 3CR Community Radio where they've got like a dedicated day for it and, you know, people were, were, were talking about it and it's like these are the things that we always talked about. It's the thing, the thing that women have always talked about in terms of like work practice, you know, I, I need to take some time out to look after my kids, my family, um, you know, all of those quote-unquote, vulnerable groups, um, everything that they've been saying um, over the years. And it's, you know, and I hope, as, as you're saying, our relationship with productivity will, will, will definitely change. Like, we, I don't know, it's like a race to nowhere. You don't really need it. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, it's, ah, yeah, I know. Yeah. At the same time, I've never written more grant submissions in this, <laughs> in this period because that, that was what was kind of happening. And I... I it really, it was a real tussle for me between. I don't know if you feel the same way. Like it was, I was really conflicted because there was some um, survival and sustainability, and yeah. also just this kind of incessant need to do all this stuff. Yeah, I think I in my head, in my my rational brain was like, screw productivity. But then like my personality was it's just like to fill my life with a bazillion activities. So I just still did that anyway, you know. Yeah. Like, and then I was like, oh, I've done it again. <laughs> like, I've clearly learned nothing. Um, but I, but I, think that, um, I think the thing that was really different for me was like all of a sudden if I just really wasn't feeling it, I didn't feel guilty about being like, you know what, today I'm going to do nothing. Like, or I can't do that meeting or I need to reschedule it. And, and I think pre-COVID, I wouldn't have done that. I would have just forced myself to, like, show up. And my children were so much more involved in my work, you know, like, because we were 
Um, and I was much more able to say, I can't do this because I have to look after my children. And, you know, I we do this really weird thing where we separate and compartmentalise um, those processes. And I, I worked in India for a bit and um, I worked, walked up on the first day without my children and they were like, where are your family? Where, where have you come to work without your family? And I was... And I, it was so countercultural to me to bring them, and so of course from the, then on I brought, um, I just had one child at that point, and she was just part of the workplace and integrated, and and it was just a really, and I felt like well that was having to happen again um, here, you know they would come in on, you know I'd been in a meeting and they'd come in, and that was just how it had to be, and um, yeah couldn't separate those things as as much, and I I don't want to. Sometimes mm. I want to, but <laughs> <laughs> let's face it. But you know, I, I do. I that I am a mother and a worker, and I can't deny that. I couldn't deny that in this time. Yep. Which actually, I think, is probably for most people with children was a pretty common experience in a way. I don't know. I actually, yeah, I don't have children, so I was like, I was just like, oh, we just. Like, it was sort of, like, there was such a, it was the first time I really noticed a, like, really difference in my lifestyle to my friends of mine who had kids because I was like, oh, we do have all this free time to, like, make sourdough or, like, I don't know, whatever No the free hell. time. Like, no free time. <laughs> <laughs> Negative free time. <laughs> Although my partner has been making sourdough for 20 years, so he was quite amused by everybody <laughs> getting on the sourdough bandwagon. I know. I think I said the same thing to Hope. I was like, when we were talking about it. And I was like, but I've been doing it for years, you know, like it's very defensive about it. And it's interesting, the stages of lockdown where you would go and make elaborate meals and what we've been through in Melbourne where afterwards it's like, just eat whatever we have, like 10 chickpeas. It was really like this peak of, of extracurricular cooking activities and then it was like, I don't care anymore. And that's one hangover for me. I cannot, I can't face the meal prep at the moment. And sadly, we're leaving the conversation here. We'd like to thank Queen Victoria Women's Centre and Emma Pavilion for giving us permission to share this wonderful piece of programming with you. A special thanks to fellow producer Ayan Shoa for lining up this content for you. And a huge, huge thanks to Hope Mahumbu. Hope, as you know, is a former Women on the Line presenter and is the reason we even have this audio. If you'd like to hear more of this conversation, you can find part one on our podcast page. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne on Kulin Nation's land, and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network, with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program. So please send an email to women on the line at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. The theme music for Women on the Line was produced by Ripley Kavara. I'm Iris Lee. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.